You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Good morning, church. So glad you are here. How many watched the game last night? Yes, representing. Yes. Iowa State, man, they're just amazing. Brock Purdy, man, that was awesome. So glad you're here this morning. Everyone's a little tired from staying up late and watching the game, but so glad you're here. Um, I got a really important message on my heart this morning that we're going to dive into. I'm going to take a little while actually to get in to the actual scripture of this morning. It's Romans chapter 15. You can turn there, but I'm going to take a little while to set it up because I feel like there's a pretty big paradigm shift that needs to happen in our, uh, the lens through which we read scripture. First, to get the fullest out of, of what I want to share this morning, the title of my message is The Supernatural Matters, and the, and the, the context is this, this series, Lifestyle Christianity. Jesus came to influence our lifestyle, our way of life, not just to redeem a day of the week or put some holidays on the calendar. He came to redeem our lifestyle, our way of life, should affect our Monday through Sunday. And uh, so we've been talking about that over the, next, or the, over the last few weeks. These last two weeks are really important. They're really close to my heart. This morning, I want to talk about the supernatural, the stuff that supersedes the natural, measurable, quantifiable world in which we live. We have to embrace the supernatural as a follower of Jesus because Jesus came from a kingdom that's not of this world. So you can't reject the supernatural. But sadly, over the last hundred, uh, uh, few hundred years, number of centuries, Christian leaders have, have tried to to come up with these creative arguments to, to convince us that the miraculous is not for today, the supernatural is not for today. They've tried to confine our, our faith in Jesus Christ to something that's uh, only a matter of like mental assent. And, and that cannot be as followers of Jesus Christ. Lifestyle Christianity has to be a supernatural lifestyle. It's a necessity. But at the same time, the reason next week's really important is because the mind also does matter. And we don't have to throw out our intellect to pursue Jesus. He gave us our minds, and although it's part of our uh, fallen self, God can still redeem our mind, and he, he allows us to use our minds for the glory of God. And so next week, Dr. Jim Bradford, friend and, and guest, he's going to be with us, and you're not going to want to miss it. So come and bring your four or five friends or family. It's going to be phenomenal next weekend. I, I don't say that about everybody, but I promise you, Dr. Bradford is going to be amazing. I actually scheduled him 18 months ago because that's how, how long ahead I had to schedule just to get him to come. And uh, he'll be with us Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night at Chi Alpha. Uh, he'll be with us all week. It's going to be amazing. He has his PhD in aerospace engineering, but he has an amazing testimony how God, how God has used him as a person of great intellect. That just because maybe you think a little more analytically about the world doesn't mean there's not a place for you at the table in the kingdom of God. God wants, God wants you. Um, and so come next week. It's going to be amazing. So the supernatural matters. That's what we're talking about this morning. The supernatural matters. It's part of our lifestyle Christianity. I would say maybe there's part of us that maybe resists the idea, uh, the idea of a supernatural lifestyle because our lives seem so normal. We think about ourselves and around, we think about our lives. We're in Iowa. That is like the definition of average, right? We're like smack dab in the center of the United States, um, plain old Midwest. We're just like hardworking people. 
Like we're not we're not all the fluff and the show of the coast. We're just like hard work and we do what it takes to get things done. So the Midwest is all about. So we think of things as just normal. It's not necessarily extraordinary. We're ordinary people. But I would say, I would contend this morning that as we look at scripture through the lens of actually ordinary believers, everyday believers, we see that the supernatural is part of what actually brings us into the kingdom, and then we're invited into as we flesh out our faith in Jesus Christ. I believe we need a paradigm shift. So for over the last hundreds of years, few millennia, church leaders have come up with really creative arguments to explain away what we read in Scripture. You read in the Gospels, Jesus started this precedent of the miraculous signs and wonders following his ministry. You see that then come into the, the early church, the, the apostles, they carried out amazing signs and wonders and healings in the name of Jesus, and it established the church. There have been many church leaders over the last few hundred years that have, that have argued, well, we were given miraculous signs and wonders only for a season. It was just to mark the authority of the apostles. It marked the authority of Jesus' ministry. It marked the authority of the apostles. And it just played a role for a season. Now they have, now they're done. They've dried up. Now we're left to just kind of ordinary Christian life. Well, I want to obliterate that idea being it's not founded anywhere in scripture. I want you to see the life of ordinary believers in the book of Acts. It's not just the apostles. Acts chapter 6, verse 8, we see plain old Stephen. He's just an ordinary believer. He's not one of the apostles. Instead, he's one of a group of seven leaders that the apostles have asked to lead this ministry team to help with the distribution of food amongst those that were in need. And they appointed these seven just regular old dudes to be a part of this ministry. Here's Stephen. He's serving tables. It says in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs amongst the people. That's what they expected. They commissioned these people to do ordinary jobs, ordinary tasks. But it was through this mindset that, of course, they'd be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. Of course, they would expect the miraculous. Of course, they would expect for God to use them to, to see healings. We see another uh, one of his comrades, Philip, in Acts chapter 8, verse 6. This is what it said of Philip. He was another one that just served tables. It said, crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and to see the miraculous signs that he did. Regular old Stephen, regular old Philip, the very next chapter, it's like chapter after chapter after chapter of this, of just ordinary believers, not just the apostles. Yes, the apostles did amazing signs and wonders, but it also followed the ordinary believers. The very next chapter, we see a story about Ananias. Regular old, plain old, ordinary Ananias. He's seeking the Lord and he has a vision. And God, God speaks to him and he says, hey, there's a guy on Straight Street. God gives him a word of knowledge. There's a guy on Straight Street named Saul of Tarsus. He needs you to go and pray for him, pray for healing. He'll receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias, he's so open to the leading of the Lord. He understands that he, is, he, he walks in a supernatural lifestyle as a follower of Jesus. He gets up and he goes, and obviously it changes the trajectory of the church. And we go on from there. We see a guy named Agabus that's, that's used for prophetic words in two different occasions in, in the book of Acts. And one of them is not even 100% accurate, but it, God uses him in his authenticity and his simplicity with a, with a prophetic gift. 
as a gift to the church and a gift specifically to Paul. We see others, Barnabas and Silas, Priscilla and Aquila, marketplace people. Barnabas being a you know, wealthy landowner, I'm not sure what he did, but he was wealthy, he had great affluence, and God used him. God used marketplace people like Priscilla and Aquila. These are ordinary people that God used in supernatural ways. So you can remove from your mind this idea that the supernatural, the miraculous, is just for some select few in some ancient history. I believe that as believers walked the earth 2,000 years ago and Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, they, they considered this commission in Mark chapter 16 that Jesus left for them, and they actually took it seriously. Instead of spending all their time toiling or how to explain it away, they took it seriously. Mark chapter 16 says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. That was actually what was in line with the pattern that Jesus had set, the precedent that Jesus had set. Before that, Jesus had commissioned 12 to go out and do, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven and proclaim um, and demonstrate it through miraculous signs and wonders. He sent out a group of 72. So it makes sense that here, post-resurrection, that Jesus would send them out in a similar way, saying these things are going to follow you, these mighty works, these supernatural works. That's the paradigm shift that we we need to have. We need to understand that that's the commission by which Jesus sends us out into this world. It's with the miraculous. It's with the supernatural. So lifestyle Christianity is a supernatural lifestyle. There have been other scholars that they realized the apostles thing was a dead end. So then they came up with another argument saying, well, okay, that's not founded. So maybe signs and wonders and the miraculous were just to mark a season of time before we got the 66 books of the Bible, before the, the canon of Scripture was complete. But then, then signs and wonders and the miraculous, they dried up. But I want to tell you, there's no historical precedent for that at all. I have a two-volume work in my office called Miracles by uh, an amazing scholar named Craig, uh, Dr. Craig Keener. And it documents in two volumes, thousands of pages, throughout history, the continuation of the miraculous across the globe. But I'll just give you a glimpse, even in the early church, how there was no expectation that the signs and wonders and the supernatural were going to stop. Here's Irenaeus in in 200 AD. So this is 100 years after the Apostle John dies, 100 years after really the last letter was written. We didn't have the 66 books in their complete fashion form, but the last book was written. And here's Irenaeus. He says, We hear many brethren in the church having prophetic gifts and speaking in all sorts of languages through the Spirit. Augustine, around 400 AD, this is later in his life, many scholars have wrongly taught that Augustine actually spoke against the miraculous because he did in his younger years until he had an encounter with the Lord. And he goes, oh, I was stupid. And this is later in his life. He still, he says, we still do what the apostles did when they laid their hands on the Samaritans and they called down the Holy Spirit on them by the laying out of hands. That was the precedent in the early church. But you see, there, there was an important moment in church history when the supernatural began to rapidly decline, and you can see it very clearly, around the time of 300, well, the year was 312 AD, when Emperor Constantine, he, he declared Christianity as the official religion of Rome, and therefore became the, the popular religion of Rome. 
Because he, he called out to the Christian God in battle. And they won the battle, and therefore he's like, okay, I'm going to convert to Christianity. Scholars debate as to whether or not his conversion was authentic. I would venture to say that it probably wasn't because of the fruit of, of what took place. But we see after that, after the, the, the dependence on the early church for God to move on their behalf rapidly declined as they rose to a platform of popularity and prestige, the supernatural rapidly declined. And obviously we're familiar with the, the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages. Corruption took over the church. The word of God was removed from the language of the people. It was reserved only for a select few of clergy. Even for a while, there was this teaching that yeah, the miraculous happened, but it was just for the clergy. It was like an, an affront on their, uh, on their authority as clergy. If they heard of anything miraculous happening amongst the people, they would call it sorcery. They'd call it witchcraft because it was an affront on their authority. So they, they kept it tightly in their hands, this authority, this hunger for power until some mighty, some mighty kingdom leaders rose up in the 1300s. A man named John Wycliffe, he contended for the scripture in, all, in, in the hands of all people. And he ended up giving his life for it, but he translated the scripture into the English uh, dialect of the day, giving his life for it. This is the foundation on which we, we live. God is, God is restoring so much of what he intended for the church. Well, obviously we're familiar with the 1500s and Martin Luther and others contended for an individual experience of justification by faith through grace. Just imagine that, that that was not common knowledge. Instead, experiencing grace, experiencing justification was this very complex maze filled with paying penance to priests, which is disgusting. It's just a disgusting idea. To, uh, I mean, it's just such a wicked idea. Confessions and going through all these rituals in order to somehow gain God's acceptance. Well, Martin Luther ended up giving his life, and Martin Luther was not a perfect man, but he ended up giving his life as, as with this life message that justification comes through faith by grace. We see in the 1600s, a man named George Fox, he contended for the Spirit's work in the life of common believers. The Holy Spirit's work in your life. You don't get a lesser Holy Spirit than what the clergy get. You get the full meal deal. You are fully equipped for life. The 17, the 1800s, we see in the first and second great awakenings, there's this like, this flattening of the playing field. As the gospel is taken out of what we would consider sacred spaces, the churches, and how the, the gospel is be, be, was being proclaimed in commonplaces, in fields, in factories, in bars, in col on college campuses. It was scandalous. The good news of Jesus Christ being declared in all these places. The, the, the playing field was continually being leveled. Let me see in the 1900s, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit Indicative of Joel chapter 2, like what Peter quoted in Acts chapter 2. It says, in these last days, there will be an out, there will, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So Peter referenced the prophet Joel. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it took place in, in Wales. It took place in Topeka, Kansas, in Los Angeles, California. These moves of God that rippled across the world, and we are in the midst of it now. More people coming to know Jesus than really any other time in human history. We're in the midst of a move of God. But I really pointed back to this, this storyline that God's been laying out for us. He's been setting the stage 
for the church to be the bride that he paid for, for us to be a supernatural church that's not of this world. We are, we are not of this world, not of this kingdom. We're, we are of a kingdom that's not of this world. We are alien citizens here. So I believe that's the paradigm by which the Roman believers were hearing what Paul is going to say here in Romans chapter 15. I took a long time to set all that up, so I apologize. But I believe so often we think in terms of just what's measurable, what's logical, what's quantifiable. And it actually, we, so then we struggle to apply uh, the teachings of Jesus, the, the teachings of the kingdom of heaven to our life. Because we're looking for simple, practical steps that we can apply. One, two, three, three disciplines you can do today. And you too can experience a, a transformed life. The kingdom of God is not like that. There's a supernatural kingdom that, yes, is practical because it applies to every aspect of our life, but it's spiritual because it supersedes the, the natural. So I'll just say this before we get into Romans chapter 15. If you remove the supernatural element of our faith, then grace becomes logical, salvation becomes mechanical, and our daily life is confined to only the predictable. It's true. Grace is not logical. Salvation cannot be mechanical. In our daily lives, I mean, it is the, 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 the epitome, the essence of why so many Christians walk around bored. It's because they're, they're, they don't understand they're of a kingdom that's not of this world. That they have a Holy Spirit living inside of them. So I want to unpack that idea this morning. So let's look at Romans chapter 15 in the next 15 minutes here. We're going to start in verse 7. Paul is speaking into some conflict that they're having in the Roman church about food that they eat, some food that's sacrificed to idols. Some of the believers are having a hard time, especially the Jewish believers are having a hard time, that the Gentile believers are eating food that's sacrificed to idols. He's also talking about days that some consider holy and others don't. And here in verse 7, he speaks into that, and he actually references the grace of God to help them walk through their divisions. He says, therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, for this, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. In another place, it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. And in another place, Isaiah said, The heir to David's throne will come, and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will place their hope on him. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace, because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with a confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll stop right there for a moment. Because I want to talk about lifestyle Christianity being a supernatural lifestyle where the grace of God is inexhaustibly good. The grace of God is beyond what you can quantify, what you can measure. It's actually a lifetime of discovery of how vast and how rich and how applicable the grace of God is. And so here Paul speaks into a tension or a conflict in the early church. And he uses the grace of God to bring them to peace. You guys have big differences. You have big things that divide you. But just as God reached across the divide to pursue relationship with you, so you can reach across the aisle and you can have a unity. You guys can find a common ground in Jesus. 
The grace of God is sufficient in your life. Therefore, the grace of God can be sufficient in your neighbor's life. He references the grace of God. And then he comes to a prayer. Because yes, the grace of God is practical in that it applies to every aspect of your life. There's not, there's not a single space in your life the grace of God is not applicable to. So in that sense, it's very practical. But it can't just stay with the practical. Like I said earlier, it's not just uh, three steps, three uh, magical formula of any sort, because then he gets to prayer. I believe prayer is one of the, the clearest indicators of how firmly we believe in the supernatural, because prayer is that great dependence on God to move on our behalf. Because here in this instance, where he wants the grace of God to be applied to their life, he prays. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will, fill, will completely fill you with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with a confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's praying that they have a supernatural experience. Us being flooded and filled with joy and peace, that's not quantifiable or, or measurable in any scientific way, in any logical way. Instead, he's praying that they have an experience of the Holy Spirit that changes their mindset that allows them to have joy and peace in the midst of division, in the midst of persecution, even from, from the world around them. He's praying for something supernatural. So I want you to know the grace of God is inexhaustibly good. It's not logical. It's not of this world. It actually defies everything logical in this world. Let's keep reading in verse 14. It says, I'm fully convinced then, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness you know these things so well, you can teach each other all about them. Even so, I've been, so, I've been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. For by God's grace, I'm a special messenger from Christ Jesus to these Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So secondly, lifestyle Christianity is a supernatural lifestyle. Grace is inexhaustibly good, and salvation is a miraculous exchange. Um, salvation is not a prayer that you pray. Salvation is not a, a formula that you follow. Salvation is not a commitment card that you follow out, a hand that you raise. Salvation is a miraculous exchange of the old with the new, of a dirty, guilty conscience with a clean one, of a hopeless life with a filled life. That is the miraculous exchange that takes place when you encounter Jesus Christ as your Savior. And it cannot be quantified or measured or, or logically explained other than that it's an encounter with someone not of this world. It's a miraculous exchange. For some of us, it's, it's a moment. You can actually pinpoint that moment when you encountered Christ back to a single moment where your eyes were opened. There are others of us where it's days or weeks or months where God took us on a process of softening our hearts and opening up our eyes. And there was a moment where you finally surrendered. Whatever it is for you, we have, to, we have to categorize it as a miraculous exchange. It's not of this world for God to take the sinful, broken us and exchange it with something brand new for us to be a new creation. That is miraculous. It cannot be explained it's not natural. It's supernatural. And Paul here, he points them back to their, as he's getting uh, closer to the end of his letter. He's confident that they'll receive it. 
because he knows they're truly saved because they've really had a miraculous exchange. So he says, I'm confident that you, you have goodness in you because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Let's keep reading then for the last, for the last few verses here. He says, so I have a reason to be enthusiastic about all that Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of the miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. So lifestyle Christianity is a supernatural lifestyle where grace is inexhaustibly good, salvation is a miraculous exchange, and our daily life is opened up to a life of the impossible through Christ. Your daily life being opened up to the impossible. From now on, there's really no such thing as just another Monday. It's just another Tuesday. Every day has its uniqueness that's infused with the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul ends his letter pointing to the strategy that's been the theme verse for our church for this entire school year. That he didn't rely on human wisdom, but he relied on the power of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Here he says it again. That's what, that's what has continued to be the mantra of his ministry amongst the Gentiles. He, he presented the good news and he expected signs and wonders and miracles in the power of God. So lifestyle Christianity is a miraculous lifestyle. You still might not be convinced because you feel so normal. I want you to consider the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And as you begin to open up your eyes and open up your life to the impossible that God wants to do to you or do through you in your life, I believe God's going to send you on an adventure. It's so much fun following Jesus. Think of yourself being Ananias and God drops on your heart a name and a place and you trust God to go there and see what God would do. How much fun is that? Just last week I had an experience where I felt compelled to bring flowers to my neighbor and pray for her because she had recently gotten a bad diagnosis about her cancer. So I brought my kids along, brought her flowers. We prayed for her there on her doorstep. How much fun is that? She's brought to tears. They don't go to church anymore. To bless somebody, to encourage somebody, that's not scary. That's fun. And our kids get a front row seat at it. And watching us walk out this supernatural lifestyle. Really all it is is listening to the promptings that God puts upon your heart. Holy Spirit lives inside of you. You have to learn to discern his voice in your life. As he speaks to you, you follow. Master and Lord might make some mistakes. More often than not, you won't because you'll learn to hear his voice and you'll step out and God will use you in amazing ways. I heard a testimony just this week from one of our Kyle staff. How they have, just as being missionaries, they've taken some big risks financially and they came, they, they received a bill in the mail for $750. It was unexpected. It was hard for them to figure out what to do with that. But instead of freaking out, they trusted the Lord. They prayed and they trusted him with it. Someone randomly sent them a check for $900. That's supernatural. So we don't 
just in our natural send checks to people for $900. But it's God just demonstrating his goodness in their life. And it's on both ends of the spectrum. It's them as the recipients. They're part of the supernatural lifestyle, but it's also those that are willing to be prompted by the Lord to write that check for $900. That's the supernatural lifestyle of a follower of Jesus. I heard a recent testimony of a, of a follower of Jesus at Buffalo Wild Wings. Do you know God can use you at Buffalo Wild Wings? It's good. You can enjoy some wings and a, co- and a Coke and minister to those around you and encourage people around you. But a follower of Jesus, he and a friend were walking to Buffalo Wild Wings, and now we're walking this group of four, four college-age guys. And the guy just grabbed one of them and said, Hey, Jesus loves you. I want you guys to know Jesus loves you. Hope you guys have an awesome night. And they keep keep walking on their way. But the, the college boys yell out back at this guy and said, I mean, they kind of scoff at him, kind of make, uh, make fun of him. And they all continue on their way. This follower of Jesus, he sits down at his table and they, they kind of start figuring out what they're going to eat. But he just can't shake from his mind the thought of these, these college guys. So he stands up and he's compelled by the Lord. He walks outside. You would think that he'd go and chew them out. He'd go scold them for uh, being rude to him, but he didn't. So I just really feel like, this is what he said to him, I just really feel like I'm supposed to tell you Jesus loves you. God loves you. He then looks at one of the guys and he says, I believe God wants to heal your left knee. And he's like, there's nothing wrong with my left knee. Now I really feel like God wants to heal your left knee. It's like, there's nothing wrong. Tell his neighbor, his, uh, the guy standing stand next to him nudges him and says, well, go ahead and tell him, tell him. He's like, okay, yeah, I actually hurt my knee in a, a, a college baseball game a year ago, and I've never been able to recover. So right there, he, this guy kneels down, he prays for his knee, a simple prayer. It doesn't need to be crazy and extravagant and loud, but he prays a simple prayer. And right there, the pain leaves in his knee. This, this kid is healed, but the story doesn't end there. You know, these kids are just there. We've never met a, a Christian like you. We've never met somebody like you. What, what is this all about? And he, he shares this, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, of, of grace through faith. And they continue on their way as he goes and enjoys some wings and a Coke. The next morning, though, he receives an email from this kid's mom. She says, thank you so much for praying for my son. I want to tell you a little bit about our story. She says, 11 years ago, my husband was killed in a, in a drunk a drunk driving accident. An oncoming drunk driver crashed into my husband and killed him. And at that time, we were serving Jesus. We loved Jesus. We were all following God. But ever since then, we've just turned our hearts to, uh, against God. We've walked away from God completely. But, he, but, but she said, last night, my son came home in tears because he said, tonight I encountered Jesus. God healed my knee. It's completely new, completely new. And she said that night they, as a family, they knelt in their living room and they prayed a prayer to the Lord, dedicating their lives back to Jesus. That's the supernatural life that you and I are invited into. It's simple. It's easy. It's the simple following of the leading of the Lord, allowing him to use you in, in simple everyday ways. In Buffalo Wild Wings, in Walmart, in Target, in your home, in your living room, in your school, in your workplace, God wants to use you. I remember in a season of my life, 
my, my college years, God was really laying a lot of this stuff on my heart. The fact that as I, I looked around the church, it seemed like we were making more excuses for why the supernatural wasn't happening rather than contending for it to happen in our day. And I remember it bothering me. I would step out in faith and in, in small, zealous ways to see God move. It's still my heart longed for it. I remember my senior year specifically, a significant moment that just confirmed this and said, Drew, go after this. Be tenacious in seeing God move on your behalf. My senior year of college, though, it's, it's a season when seniors and engineers are supposed to be finding jobs. And I was, but my best friend who was in Chi Alpha with me, God was doing so much in both of our lives. Our senior year, his mom had a, a ruptured brain aneurysm. His name was Aaron. His mom's name was Dottie. And she was rushed to the hospital with a, a very slim chance of, of, of living. But in order to stop the bleeding in her brain, they had to do a very risky surgery. Only 2% of people survived the, the surgery. And I remember Aaron, he had to stop, stop school, write, write all his professors in the midst of all this, the weeks of, of all this happening, stop any sort of job hunt. But he did call out to his communities of, of um, Christ followers. And he said, let's pray for, for God to do something, for God to do the miraculous. And I remember walking into that lobby, even that night, some of us started to gather in the, the waiting area just to pray for Dottie. I remember just sensing the peace of God in that place. God was just there. And Dottie survived the surgery, but still the, the life of someone surviving that was a pretty sad existence. She'd be confined to a wheelchair, not much quality of life really at all. That's what the doctors told, him, told her. The story just continues because we just continue to pray for her. She continued to keep her eyes on Jesus. Soon she got out of the wheelchair. Soon she kicked the walker. <laughs> she kicked the cane. She still didn't have very good eyesight. Soon she began to recover her eyesight. They told her she'd never drive, then she began to drive. Fast forward a year and a half or two years later, at that time me and my wife were living out in Seattle and, and our friend Aaron, he was he was just following us along. He lived out in Seattle as well. He lived in the same building as us and everything. And we both had engineering jobs at the same place for the Department of Defense. But I remember Dottie and her husband flying out to visit us in Seattle. And it was, it was so humbling for me to just stand back and, and look at Dottie and the miraculous work that God had done in her life. Because here was this woman who had not only a death sentence over her, but then a, after that miraculous surgery, then uh, really a sad existence after that. Well, we walked for miles all over Seattle that day, for miles. And I wanna tell you, Tony can attest to this, the, the beaming face of Dottie as she walked around that town, is like everyone she, she, she came up to, she'd shake their hands and say, God bless you, God has done so much for my life. I'm just so thankful to be alive. You know, God healed me, do you know that? <laughs> Can I tell you about that? She would just do it and we'd be at Cheesecake Factory or walking towards the space, you know, and she'd stop people and just tell them that. She was so full of life because God had done a miraculous work in her life. That's the God that we serve. He's a God that's not confined. He actually wrote the laws of this universe. That means he's above them. He supersedes them. And he can call an audible at any time. And he can use you. 
He's alive today. He wants to awaken his church to a supernatural life. He wants to open your eyes in simple ways, in humble ways, to be a word of encouragement to your neighbor, to speak a word of life to your kids that actually is meaningful, to pray a prayer in the middle of the night for someone across the globe, for you to send a check to someone in a moment that doesn't make any sense. That's the, that's, those are the things that God wants you to do and wants you to be a part of. If everyone would stand across this place, I want us to respond to Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.